Good morning, church. Thank you very much for being with us this morning. Our, our community uh, is experiencing a lot of tragedy right now. And there are a lot of our group that are out there this morning helping individuals and families. There's some people that are tuning in online that cannot get here this morning because the roads that they would have taken to get here are impassable due to high water. And so I want you guys just to remember those guys in prayer. Our leadership has been in prayer. <clears throat> I've been out working and yelling at people. You can hear from my voice. My back isn't all, as strong as it used to be, but man, I can really shout some orders at somebody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Turn with me, if you would, into Luke chapter 24. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about redemption. And on a, on a morning like this morning, where our community has come through tragedy, we need to know that we have a Redeemer and that that Redeemer is alive. He is alive. And we're coming up on the greatest season of the year. Uh, we're coming up on the time that we call Easter, celebrating the fact, the reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So in Luke chapter 24, we get the story of two men who are headed to a place called Emmaus. Their journey was prompted by two ladies before them who went to Jesus' tomb and found that the tomb was empty. And they see two angels at the tomb, and this angel says to them, look, he, he's not here. Jesus has risen. And so we're going to pick up our story in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. The Bible says this. Now the same day two of them were talking, were, were, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with, the, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. These guys walking on the road to Emmaus this day, the third day after Jesus' burial, were expecting a strong Messiah. They were expecting a Redeemer that was strong. If you were to look at the Old Testament and to study the words used in the Old Testament that mean redeem or redemption, you'd find that there are three words used commonly. Okay, all three of these words are legal terms. And here's what the Old Testament means when it refers to being redeemed or redemption occurring. 
that a property that was one time owned by an individual was somehow now in the possession of another individual. And either the individual who previously owned the property or someone else paid a particular price to reclaim or redeem that property so that it was in the possession of its original owner. I'm reminded of a story about a little boy who built a toy boat. He spent a lot of time building this boat, gluing pieces together, uh, painting the boat, putting sails on the boat. And for a long time he had planned on taking this boat down to a river and playing with the boat in water, seeing it float and watching as, as the water rushed by the boat and, and doing all kinds of different games with this boat. And so one day this young, young boy who built the boat goes to the river. He puts the boat in the water. And the boat does what boats do in rivers if they're designed such that they float. It starts floating and it catches current and a little bit of wind and it starts sailing away from this little boy. The little boy can't grab the boat. He watches it go down river. He is forced to abandon the boat. He goes back home, changes his clothes, really despondent, asking his folks what he should do. They say, well, look, let's go, let's go into town. Let's check some stores, see if we can maybe purchase a boat that looked just like yours. So he's walking through town and notes some storefronts with some toys in their windows. And he sees a couple of boats, but none just like the boat that he owned. And he comes to one toy store and he sees in the window his boat. Every little bit of glue he placed on this boat, the this child is familiar with. Every placement of the sail, every color on this particular boat, this child knows. He says, Dad, that's my boat. And so the father and son, they go into the shop and the kid tries to convince the employee that they're actually selling the boat that he made. The employee won't hear of it. He can't be convinced. The child's certain of it. So he says, Dad, can we just buy this boat back? This this one is mine. And so the dad purchases or redeems the boat. And in a similar way, that's the idea that the Old Testament scriptures give to us if we were really to study them out in detail. That God requires a price to be paid to, to reclaim the children that are His. And the price that is paid has to be the price that the item is worth. What's astonishing about the story we read in the scriptures is that God places a value on you. You under the sound of my voice or you tuning in online, he places a value on you that is so great he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the lamb offered for your redemption so you could be adopted into the family of God. But this is not the kind of redemption that Israel anticipated. You see, they had memories of redemption that were much more political and much more revolutionary. Moses, in the Old Testament, was a man that God raised up to lead God's people from captivity in Egypt. Moses was of the house of Pharaoh, was a powerful political leader, a very strong revolutionary, killed somebody and raised God's people up and led them out of captivity through lots of signs and wonders performed by God. Or you look at the judges all throughout the Old Testament, even guys like Gideon, Men that God raises up and through miraculous means God leads the, the, the Israelite people into a season of political power and conquest and prestige. 
And no doubt the Israelites of Jesus' day were anticipating the same kind of political revolutionary that they had experienced in their history. And so they missed their Redeemer. If we look at some of the scriptures that indicate how Israel actually missed their Redeemer, we might turn to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. King Herod hears that uh, the Messiah is born. And he was disturbed, and so was all of Jerusalem with him. In other words, the political powers that be at the time Jesus was born were worried that the Messiah would become this great political leader and rise up as a revolutionary, overthrowing the government as it existed at that time. Or even later on in the ministry of Jesus, in Matthew 16 and verse 21 and 22, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And then Peter, one of his right hand guys, looks at him and he says, "Uh, Jesus, God forbid this. It shall never happen to you. In other words, you can't go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Because if you do, how are you going to be the political revolutionary that we're all expecting? And even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, Jesus appears to the disciples and they gather around and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, now is the revolution coming? Now are you going to rise to political power? Are you going to overthrow these oppressive Romans? Who are are not giving us our fair shake? Because you see, the Messiah that they experienced was a suffering Messiah. That's not who they expected. They were looking for political transformation. And they got a Messiah who suffered and died for them. If you catch Luke 24 in the 25th verse, we stopped reading at 24, you'd read these words of Jesus. He says to them, How foolish you are. Isn't it interesting that they're talking to Jesus, the guy who was at the center of all that had happened in Jerusalem? They're like, dude, how can you not know what happened in Jerusalem these last few days? And he says to them, flipping the script, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These guys did not get it. It was right in front of their nose and they couldn't see it, either because of tragedy or trial or tribulation. Some things in life prevented them from seeing. And so Jesus opens the scriptures. He's like, look, you guys have had this your whole life. Now, let me show you exactly what the scripture said about this guy, Jesus. And I'm wondering if he went to Isaiah 53. This is this for me is a pivotal uh, point of scripture in in displaying the nature of the coming redeemer of Israel. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse four says this. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was 
on him and by his wounds we are healed. That's the redemption price. In God's economy, something to be redeemed merits something paid. A ransom is another way the scriptures describe that. And the ransom price matches the price of the item being redeemed. And so practically, how does Isaiah 53 play out in the life of Jesus? If that's the prophecy of suffering, what's the pattern of Jesus' suffering? Look no further than Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him naked. And they put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail! King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his clothes on him. And they led him away like a dog to crucify him. That's our Jesus. That is our Redeemer. As those men are beating and mocking Jesus, He's busy going about redeeming even them. That's our God. And that's the pattern of His life. And that's the nature of the pattern of our lives too. If we claim to identify ourselves with Jesus, Trent, what are you saying? I'm saying, man, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this life, you're going to have tribulation. There are going to be trials in life. You're going to have friends that struggle. You're going to struggle. Your marriage is going to go through times of difficulty. Your kids are going to experience hardship. And if it's not an emotional struggle like I just described, maybe it's going to be some kind of physical tribulation. Dear God, be with our community. That is right where we are living right now. Our material possessions, things that are sentimentally of of seemingly endless value. Some of the people in this room, those possessions have been destroyed. And some people are just maybe inches away from experiencing that same kind of trial. Friend, I want to tell you, this is the lifestyle of Jesus Christ who gave everything and anything that was required to redeem you. And it's because of your redemption that even in the darkest time of storm, you can lift your eyes and hands and hearts up to heaven and even praise God and even rejoice because you have been redeemed. You've been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And do not, do not, do not let the enemy 
use what happens down here to take your eyes off of the God who is alive up there. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. That's what these guys eventually find out. That's the effect of their redemption as a successful Messiah. Jesus' sacrifice is efficient. It's sufficient. So they break bread and all of a sudden scales fall from their eyes and they see Jesus and then he disappears. And in verse 33 in Luke 24, these guys get up and return at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they said, these are some of the most beautiful words ever written. Here's three of them. It is true. I want you to say that with me. It is true. Say that one more time. It is true. Hallelujah! It is true. He has risen. Hallelujah! Thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ your son, to redeem even broken me. So that even in the storms of my life, I can find joy and rejoice. Why? Because I have been forgiven. Because he lives, Trent has been forgiven, and so have you. That's what the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus, the first chapter and the seventh verse to the letter he wrote to these guys. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Friend, on your worst day in Jesus Christ, you're still better than your best day outside of Jesus Christ. On your worst day in Jesus Christ, you are still better than your best day outside of Jesus Christ. Because you've been forgiven. There is no greater love or value God could have placed on your life than than that He would have given His perfect, spotless, sinless Son. And He did it not because of anything righteous that you've done, but in spite of your unrighteousness, He's forgiven you. And He's taken you out of that nasty, sick darkness, and He's brought you into His marvelous, glorious light. We got a good image of that in our community, didn't we? feels like since Tuesday, it has been as dark as night in northeast Louisiana. But man, that sun broke through the clouds, didn't it? And if you're like me, the second you saw that sunlight breaking through those clouds, you just said, God, thank you. Thank you for the sun. Man, I want to tell you something, friends. And I mean this. The sun is going to break through the storms in your life. It's going to happen. Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for this in Luke chapter 21. Starting in verse 27, he says, At at that time they'll see the Son of Man coming in a, a cloud with power and with great glory. In Luke 21, 28, he says, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads and take a look on the horizon. Because your redemption is drawing nigh. That's the guarantee. That's the guarantee that the sun is going to shine in the storms in your life. 
Trent, I, I've been dealing with this malady or this problem for 10, 15, 20, 40 years. And it just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And, 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 and people who have been struck by this tragedy are feeling some of those same kinds of things. Trent, when is this ever going to end? Where's the end? I've lost my home. I've lost my business. My family's lost their entire uh, world in this. Some people have lost their lives. Some people feel the, the magnitude of, of losing a loved one unexpectedly as a result of this tragedy. I don't have answers to those tough questions, but I know that what Jesus told his disciples to prepare them for the trials that they would face, this man in the darkest part of the storm, when it seems like there's no way out to your left because the waters are rising, and there's no way to go behind you because those waters are rising. And there's no way to go to your right because those waters are rising and the, and the rain clouds from the front just keep coming and you're surrounded on all sides and just look your eyes to heaven. Look your eyes to your Redeemer because it is true. It's true. Jesus Christ lives. And if He's alive, He's preparing a place for us. We will live with Him in for eternity. And you know what? Jesus has asked us to encourage one another with these kinds of words. When tragedy hits our community or our loved ones, we're supposed to use these, these very words. These very words to encourage one another. This is what we're supposed to do. We are in here right now living out Jesus' instruction for us. So, so I, I ask you, what, what encouragement do you need this morning? Can we pray for you? Can we lift you up? Can we lift loved ones up? If you've been redeemed, then you, you please rejoice. And if you haven't been redeemed and baptized into Christ and bought with the blood of Jesus, then I invite you to do that this morning while you stand and together we sing. Stand, please.